a good devach. It's customary after Shabbos Bereshis to announce the Yaakov Holochadarkai. The Yaakov went on, on his journey. Yaakov goes on his journey. What that statement means is that after all the holidays that we experienced from Chayel, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot, and Chastera, and Shabbos Bereshis, so Hashem empowers us to go on our journey to bring down the holiness of this holiday season into the mundane to fulfill Hashem's purpose and creation to make a home for Hashem in the lowest realm. And it's customary actually on Matzoy Shabbos, many have the custom of singing the song, Altira Abdi Yaakov, do not be afraid, my servant Yaakov. The reason they sing the song is because a person might be afraid he has to leave Shabbos, leave the holiness of Shabbos and go back to the mundane, it might be frightening. And therefore, we uh, sing this song, or in our custom, we don't sing it, but the sentiment is there, not to be afraid. Hashem is sending us, Hashem is with us wherever we are, whatever, every place and every time, every moment, and therefore there's no reason to be afraid. And uh, let's say L'chaim, especially for our brothers and sisters who are going into Gaza to defend the Jewish people, Hashem uh, should watch them, protect them wherever they are. L'chaim, L'chaim, so, this idea of Yaakov Halchodarke, of going on to the journey of the mundane, to bringing to fruition Hashem's purpose and creation, Hashem especially empowers us to do on, at this time, as the Rebbe and the previous Rebbe and all the Rebbe said that on the way you approach Shabbos Bereshis, the way the whole year goes. So something is this special empowerment that Hashem gives us in this Shabbos to, um, to do this mission. So I wanted to share a few stories that highlight the unique power, the unique strength that Hashem gives us at this time of the year and uh, the role that uh, we're meant to play in this um, in these last moments before the coming of Mashiach. Abinissa Mangel, Langezunt, many of us are familiar with Rabbi Mangel because of his Siddur. He translated the Chabad Siddur, and he has many other tremendous schusim, but that's a subject in itself. So it was, it was Simchas Torah, the night of Simchas Torah, night of Simchas Torah, and the Rebbe Fabringed, the Rebbe danced in the Kafis till about four or five in the morning. And after the Rebbe finished Hakafis, the Rebbe went to his room. And uh, in, you would expect the Rebbe going to his room after such a tiring night, dancing and dancing, he would, he would rest. But Rabbi Mangel said that when the Rebbe came to his room, the Rebbe opened up the, a, a, the window, the blind a little bit, and they were able to look in to, to, to look at the Rebbe, whether they should have or they shouldn't have, they did. And as soon as the Rebbe came into the room, the first thing he did was, he took out a large volume of Torah, either either it was a book of Gemara or Code of Jewish Law, and then immediately began studying, coming from Akafas immediately to to study. So, by since it was such, so the Akafas were so long, so that year, in the I think I think you said it was the 1950s, there were very few people 
that arrived to um, praying on time at 10 o'clock in the morning. People were up so late, so they woke, they, they woke up late, and they came late. So Rabbi Mangel was one of the few people, there were 10 people, who were there on time in the Rebbe synagogue that year on Simchas Torah. And when the Rebbe came in, the Rebbe's custom is to touch every mezuzah, not, not to kiss with his mouth, but to kiss with his hand, each mezuzah, and to hold the parechas, to hold the uh, curtain for the ark as Rebbe, as Rebbe enters the synagogue. So the Rebbe held the, held the parechas, he held the, the curtain of, of the ark, and the Rebbe looked at Rabbi Mangel, and instead of going up to pray on the podium, where the Rebbe would pray, the Rebbe looked at Rabbi Mangel, and the Rebbe asked him, are there any, any Torahs in the ark? So Rabbi Mangel is not the Gabbai, he doesn't work in the synagogue, and so he um, turned to Rabbi Lipsker, who was a Gabbai in the synagogue, and he said to Rabbi Lipsker, Rebbe wants to know if there are any Torahs in the ark. He doesn't know. There should be, there always are Torahs in the ark. So he opens up the ark, and sure enough, there are no Torahs in the ark. Usually in the Rebbe's synagogue today, I don't know how many there were in those days, but there's a good six, seven Torahs in the ark in 770. At that time, in Simchas Torah, there were no Torahs there. Why were there, any, why were there no Torahs there? Because um, the Rebbe had instructed that all those who, um, all yeshiva students, shouldn't be satisfied with just attending the uh, hakafas attending the dancing where others hold the Torahs, but they should take a Torah themselves. So after the official um, dancing was over, every Shiva student took a Torah and danced with the Torah. And uh, and so Shiva students are Shiva students. And so when they finished dancing, they left the Torahs upstairs in the synagogue upstairs. And so, so the Rebbe could just feel holding on to the, onto the curtain of the ark that there are no Torahs in the ark. Unbelievable. And as I was thinking of the story metaphorically, that um, after Simchas Torah, especially after this year's Simchas Torah, we have to make sure that there are Torahs in the Ark, we have to make sure that all the inspiration we received in this holiday, that we take this inspiration and we make sure that our Ark is full of faith in Hashem, full of love for our fellow Jews and full of love for Torah, love for Hashem, and learn something from the soldiers who are actually giving their lives to protect the Jewish people, Hashem should protect them wherever they are, and to make sure that our ark is full, and to not be affected by the uh, voices within and without that uh, pull us away from where we're meant to be. So on that note, I wanted to uh, share a few stories. Um, just um, two stories that happened this week. Then I'll share the featured story for tonight. Uh, there's a woman named Rachel Adari, and she lives in Ofakim in Israel. The story happened this week. When the terrorists, Simach Shamam, entered her village in Ofakim, five terrorists came into her home, with, and they held her and her husband David captive. And she said to herself, These men, they're hungry. A hungry man is more dangerous than a man who is fed. And probably, she said to herself, these men are, are um, thinking about their mothers because they're going to kill themselves. They know, they know they're, they're not going to survive. So she said, hey, you must be hungry. Can I make food for you? And she actually made them cookies and cake and food. And these, and these terrorists ate her food. 
and she said she pretended to be their their mother. She 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 helped one of them with one of his wounds, and she enter, she entertained them and fed them until the Israeli soldiers could come and take care of business. It's amazing the absolute clarity of of Rachel Aderi not to be affected by what was going on and to ha- be to be aware of who she was and where she was meant to be and 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 to realize that that. that God is with her, not to be affected. Similar story happened to a man named uh, Noam Tibon, Nachal Oz. Unfortunately, um, terrorists held captive there many, many Jews. And one of them was a Israeli journalist. And he said the following. He said that his father was a retired general, is a retired general. And his father knew that his son and grandchildren were being held captive. So he went himself the government, the soldiers, the army didn't have enough soldiers to go and to rescue them. He went himself. But on the way to rescue, to try to rescue his family, his children, his son and grandchildren from, from the terrorists, on the way there, he met some people that survived the rave, the, the concert, and they were injured and needed to be taken to safety. So instead of going to rescue his son and Achlos, he took them. Then he went back again towards Nachalos. On the way to Nachalos, he met some soldiers who didn't seem to have any particular mission to go to. One of them was injured, and he, but they needed, to be, they needed to be taken again to, to, be, to safety and to the hospital. So he went again the opposite direction. Finally, he managed to take a group of soldiers, a small group of soldiers, and he went, and Baruch Hashem destroyed the terrorists in Achshamam, and knocks on the door and he says to his grandson, we could see from the window, Saba is here, grandfather is here. It takes such a sense of absolute clarity to be able to, to be that person, to be like that, to, to know that Hashem is going with you. Um, there's a verse we say in Ashrei, Ashrei am shakachalo, how fortunate is the people, shakachalo, that so is their lot. And the Baal Shem Tov explains, that the word shakacha means absolute clarity. How fortunate the people that have absolute clarity that Hashem is with them. Shakacha is also numerically equivalent to the word Moshe. Ashem shakacha lo also means how fortunate is the people shakacha lo that have a Moshe Rabbeinu. So on that note, I want to share with you the featured story of tonight for tonight. A really incredible story. Um, this story is printed in the Kfar Chabad magazine of, of Sukkot. And we'll go right to it. So, the story about our Rebbe, about the Moshe Rabbeinu of our time. Unbelievable story. Rabbi Binyamin Lipkin from Kfar Chabad gets a phone call from a man who, his name is Yitzchak, and he doesn't want to say his last name for certain reasons. Um, let's say it this way. He is in a community which is very Hasidically challenged. doesn't want to associate himself at all with Chabad, and with the Rebbe, and therefore he uh, didn't want to share his name with the Kvar Chabad magazine, but this is the story he told. He called up Rabbi Benjamin Lipskin, and he said to him, I, you know I'm, making a, I'm marrying up my, my oldest son tonight, and I need you to come to the wedding. Rabbi Lipskin said, he was surprised, Rabbi, Rabbi Yitzchak, this Rabbi Yitzchak, he, he is a part of the um, Degel HaTorah political party, he is part of the um, Sha'irat Yisrael, the kosher agency called Sha'irat Yisrael, a very prominent kosher agency in Israel. And he wasn't really 
that connected to, as I mentioned, with with Hasidim, with Chabad, and yet he said it's so important to me you come to the wedding. Lipkin wasn't planning to come to the wedding. He had other things to take care of that night, but they said, listen, it's so important to me, and he, please, I beg you, I need to have at least one Chabad, one Chassid Chabad to come to the wedding. Rabbi uh, Lipkin is touched. I mean, he doesn't know what this guy is. It went from, like, weird to curious. So he came to the wedding. At the wedding, this Rabbi Yitzchak turns to Rabbi Yom Lipkin and he takes him into a corner and he tells him a story that his own children do not know till this day. Till this day, they don't know this story. Again, because of the, um, it's hard to imagine, but because of the environment that his children were brought up in and um, because of the the frigid attitude that many in his community have towards Chabad Chassidim, so he felt that it's not correct to share the story with his own children. So till today, his own children do not know the story. And he promised me, he made um, the, um, the journalist who brought the story to Parch Chabad magazine, uh, made him promise not to put his name into the, into the magazine. Therefore, his name is not in the magazine. And this is the story. He said that um, he and his wife got married in Tav Shalom and Zayin in 1977. And after... His wife became pregnant shortly after they got married. They're very excited. But unfortunately, his wife told him, they went to the doctor, she lost a child. She had a miscarriage. Very devastating. But the doctors told them, you know, this happens often, very often. But this is only something that happens the first time that you become pregnant. It's not something which happens often the second time. In fact, only 2% of people who miscarry the first time have a second miscarriage after that. Only 2%. They were very excited. They are for sure not from the 2%. But unfortunately, they were. And she miscarried a second time, and a third time, and a fourth time, and a fifth time. And it was very, very devastating. And they went to various doctors. And doctors have this, um, I don't know what the word is, but they have this, this, this playbook to uh, determine whether someone is, is in a situation where it's expected that they're not going to be able to carry their pregnancy to term. And in order to be able to determine if someone is in that category, they, they um, need to do multiple um, tests and multiple tries. But after all the tries, they came, doctors came to the conclusion that yes, they're in the category of a couple that will not be blessed, God forbid, with children. They cannot have children. And it's, it just won't work. So Rabbi Yitzhak's wife's grandfather lived at the time in, in Detroit, Michigan. And he loved his granddaughter very much. And he said, you know, there's a very prestigious doctor in New York. And he can arrange that they can see this doctor. And this doctor is, is uniquely um, talented, uniquely blessed. With helping children, with helping um, with infertility, and so he should, he suggests they come to New York then to um, to see his care. So at the time, Rabbi Yitzhak was very involved, as I mentioned, with political, this political party Degalatora, and there was some uh, need for him to be in Israel because of this because his of his association with this party, but because of his great yearning to have a child, um, they threw everything on the side and they took the trip to New York, and they went to this, see this doctor. They thought, you know, here is this 
here is what stands between them and having a child. This expert doctor, this world-renowned doctor, he's going to help them. The doctor does a battery of tests. And after all the tests, this, this took place right after Tishrei, right after like, the similar time that we're in now, right after the month of Tishrei, after all the holidays, they went together to see this doctor from, from Israel, from Israel. And after all of the tests, the doctor came to the conclusion that not only will she not become pregnant, but it's forbidden for her to try to become pregnant because she is in a unique category that cannot become pregnant, it's dangerous for her to become pregnant, and therefore she should not even try. It's forbidden medically for her to try to become pregnant. Imagine the devastation that Rabbi Yitzchak and his wife had. Here they came all the way to America from Israel to try to, this was the last hope, and they, and they, and they, and they came, and they're empty-handed. So Rabbi Yitzchak called up his father, then in 1977, at the end of the month of Tishrei, after all these tests, and he calls up his father, tells his father what's going on. And his father said to him, you need to go to the Lubavitch Rebbe. Now, he couldn't believe it, because he was associated with this political party, as I mentioned, which is, which is very frigid views towards Hasidim and Chabad and everything. He couldn't believe his father saying this to him. He said, no, dad, me? And it was like, it was all very emotional. He had broken down to t- in tears before when he was telling his father about the, about the devastating news they got from the doctor. And his father says, listen, my son, take a cup of water and calm down. You, you're, in, you're in New York. I don't know if I would tell you to travel all the way to New York, but you're in New York already. You have to. You have to go to the Rebbe. And then he told the son the following. He said, when you go to the Rebbe, I want you to relate to the Rebbe somehow, find a way to bring him to the Rebbe's attention, that you're a grandson of Ramesha Aaron Resnick. Ramesha Aaron Resnick was the prize student of the famous Torah scholar and, and mentor to many of, of ethics, the Saba of Kelm. Ramesha Resnick uh, served as a rabbi in Stalingrad, and he was a very prominent um, Torah giant in Soviet Russia, which was very unusual. And he had a lot of sacrifice for Torah. In addition to the sacrifice for Torah, he uniquely, uh, so this Yavitzuk said, his grandmother would always tell him how he is his how her um, grandfather, her, her 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 father rather, her father had sacrifice to protect the Rebbe's father. What exactly the story is with the Rebbe's father, we don't know. The um, uh, journalist in Karachabad surmises that may be connected to the following story. We don't know. But this is what he suggests may be connected to this. The Rebbe's father, I believe Yitzhak, um, visited Moscow in um, in 19... 30, I want to say, 1930, and no, 1920, 1920, and uh, he was there, and he stayed at the home of a relative of his, Rabbi Zalman Schneerson, and middle of the night, he and another chassid, um, Rabbi Tholim Gottlieb, um, were told by Rabbi Zalman Schneerson that the KGB is there, and they need to escape immediately. They jump out the window and they run into the fields. And they spend the night in the field until until the coast is clear, until they're able to go somewhere else. KGB came in the night, they had to run away. So it could be 
that this was what his grandmother meant when she said that um, her father was instrumental in protecting the Rebbe's father. Could be connected to this story. We don't know. But either way, that's what that's what the tradition of their family was. That their family um, helped the Rebbe's family. In addition to this, also, when Moshe Aaron Resnick um, was approached many times by the Rabbi of Nebrak, Rabbi um, Yaakov Landau, and it's possible he asked Moshe Aaron Resnick for assistance many, many times. And it's possible that, that he was sent there by the Rabbi Rashab. Could be the Rabbi Rashab sent Rabbi Lando to speak to Rabbi Resnick because he did um, ask for assistance many times. Be it as it may, this Rabbi Yitzchak's father told Rabbi Yitzchak, you need to tell the Rebbe, the time has come to pay the debt. There's a debt, in other words, to our family for all that we've done for the Rebbe's family. And now we're asking to pay the debt. Pretty strong words. He was in a turmoil. At that time, the Rebbe did give out dollars every Sunday, and therefore it wasn't so hard to go see the Rebbe. The Rebbe saw thousands of people every Sunday. Every person had a few moments with the Rebbe, they would give each person a dollar. However, again, because of this person's background, he was very frightened of having a private audience, having a picture of himself taken with the Rebbe. He thought this would not do well with his friends back in Degla Torah and in the Kosher Agency, Sheish Yisrael, because of again, they're they're um, they're being un- uneducated in um, Chabad and Hasidus and the Rebbe, and therefore they would they would look um, with disdain on his association with the Rebbe, and therefore he did not want to go to the to dollars. But how would he see the Rebbe? So he spent several hours in Seven Seventy in Parkway, trying to figure out a way to approach the Rebbe but not be on camera. And he just he well he walked around and. He came up with the following plan. When the Rebbe would come back from Mincha, the Rebbe's secretary would walk behind him. They would walk into his room. They would walk very briskly. But he thought, as the Rebbe walks into his room, he'll stand in front of the Rebbe. And he'll ask, and he'll say what he wants to say to the Rebbe. And there in that small room, outside Ganeid Natachn, outside the entrance to the Rebbe's room, there aren't, it's a very small room, and the chances are there won't be any cameras at that time. So he, he decided to risk it and, and speak to the Rebbe then. The Rebbe came back from Mincha, the Rebbe finished Mincha, and the Rebbe started walking to his room, and he stood in front of the Rebbe, Rabbi Groner, all of a sudden, the Rebbe's secretary knew right away why this guy was standing there, and he motioned him like very um, sharply and strongly, like, do not, do not do what you... Th- planning to do. Like, this is not a good idea. Do not interrupt the Rebbe. This is not what this is meant for. You're not allowed to do this. But he, you know, he was married for 10 years without children. And so he decided he's just going to do this. He's going to ignore a big He ignores a big He goes over to the Rebbe and he tells the Rebbe that I am the grandson of Rabbi Moshe Aaron Resnick. So the Rebbe right away responds and the Rebbe said, Rabbi your grandfather was a man of total self-sacrifice. And it's kumtem And he deserves the thanks. He deserves thanks. Everything explained, he deserves thanks. Apparently, the family tradition was ratified by that statement. It's kumtem He deserves thanks. So, he, again, he's not coming from a Hasidic family. So, he brazenly, or with chutzpah, says to the Rebbe, 
I've come to collect a debt. So the Rebbe looks at him, the Rebbe says, no, like, what's the debt you're coming to collect? So he said, my wife and I are married, are married for 10 years, we don't have children, and we need a blessing. So without, like, without anything, the Rebbe just says two words, Ka'es chaya. Ka'es chaya are words in the Torah at the beginning of Parshas Vayera. There the Torah talks about how um, God sent angels to inform Avraham that he was going to have a child. And, uh, and Sarah laughs. How is it possible they're going to have a child? And the angels say to Avraham, why did Sarah laugh? Is anything impossible for Hashem? And the angels conclude their talk to Avram by saying these words. We're going to come back next year, Ka'es Chaya, exactly at this time, alive. And we'll sort of be in a, exactly on the same day, Sarah will have a child. That's what the angels told Avram. And sure enough, I think it was Pesach, um, when Yitzhak was born. Different opinions, I think. But exactly the same day that the angels arrived the first time, Ka'es Chaya, exactly that time, that's when they were blessed, Avram and Sarah were blessed with their son Yitzchak. So they used the exact words, Ka'es Chaya. Those words which are indicative of exactly when you're from today. Ka'es Chaya. At this time, alive next year. Baruch Hashem, he leave, the Rebbe goes into his room, and he, again, he is a total misnagid. He is totally chassidically challenged. By hearing such words to the Rebbe, even he knew this is this is serious stuff. He told his wife, we don't have to worry about anything. After hearing such words to the Rebbe, there's absolutely no doubt we are going to have a child. We can already celebrate. And he was right. Baruch Hashem, on the 25th of Cheshvan, in the year Tavshem and 1988, 11 years after the marriage, exactly a year after the date he was by the Rebbe, he was by the Rebbe, the 25th of Cheshvan, 1987, Exactly one year later, sure enough, he had his first son, Baruch Hashem. And he was blessed seven years later with a daughter, and Baruch Hashem today they have over ten grandchildren. But think about the, that, 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 that statement, the absolute clarity, absolute surety, they told him, you're going to have a child. You're going to have a child in this exact day. It, it's... it's um, Really, it really enforces in us this uh, conviction to see the fulfillment of the Rebbe's words about the coming Mashiach. And we don't have to wait Ka'es Chaya, we don't have to wait till next year for the Rosh uh, Cheshvan of Tavshin Pei Hei, but right in Tavshin Pei Dalet, we will surely see the fulfillment of the Rebbe's words, Ka'es Chaya, that the Rebbe gave so many times, how our generation will be the one that, that will actually merit to see with our eyes the coming of Mashiach. And in a moment, Mashiach comes, and he takes us to the holy mountain. He takes us to Shalayim. He takes us to the Tirbeis Hamikdash. We celebrate in the Tirbeis Hamikdash the Kesh Gadashim with all the Jewish people, with Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah, and all the Jews from all generations. Hashem help us all that we should celebrate tonight in, in Yerushalayim, in the Shiltzakenu, and we'll see the redemption of all those who are captive and the healing of all those who are sick. especially those in Eretz Yisrael who risked their lives to protect the Jewish people. And all of our soldiers who are now risking their lives will see their success and their victory. Thank you for your time.